Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down in at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by a vacant light heavyweight title fight between Jan Blahovich and Magomed Ankalaev. And, um, yes, it's weird, because this card still isn't bad, but it has... It does feel like the interest in it has changed dramatically after losing the original title fight. Which is weird because I don't even know that, like, I needed to see a rematch between Glover Teixeira and Jerry Prochaska. This MF said Ariba. What? (laughs) T-Mobile Ariba. Ariba? Did I say Ariba? I thought I said Ariba. You sure did, you clown ass. Um, yeah, it's a good. <laughs> Sorry. I don't even know. I'm not. I don't know. Maybe I did. I'll, uh, whatever. I'm. Yeah, t- I'm tired, man. I'm maybe too tired. He did. He's copping to it. What a hero. No, I don't. Um... <laughs> I'm, hey, man, you still look up to me. Don't. Don't lie <laughs> yeah, to these people. <laughs> Um, you're actually, did you ever know that you're <laughs> my hero? Yeah. yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I kind of felt, I had the feeling the closer we got that this card was like getting tanked by cancellations. And, um, you know, I look at it now and it's still not bad. Yeah. I mean, the and it's also not that lost. many fights have actually been canceled. And, and the fights we lost were not largely good fights. Like, I want to see Yuri Prashaska again. And I and Glover Teixeira, he's... That he's, is obviously a great fight. Though. Yeah, he's, I mean, a, he's was... a great, you know, he's a road dog out there. I, I'm happy to... I was happy to see him get another, you know, chance at title. I was happy to... It, it wasn't a rematch I felt like I had to see, but it was a... It was going to be... It was a fun fight the first time. Oh, yeah, it was worth, <laughs> worth seeing again. Why not? But otherwise, um, like, Bo Nickel versus Jamie Pickett, like yeah who cares yeah nickel is a hot prospect but he was gonna wreck jamie pickett i do not care uh alexander gustafson versus ovint st peru i mean i am a little sad but i you know i have a unique interest in such fights it's not uh, a good fight yeah it it was a car crash fight where you just we're looking to watch to see how much more pathos alexander gustafson can experience inside the cage two of the most seasoned light heavyweights i believe was the uh was the pitch yeah yeah the the carthage kind of seasoning that's right yeah yeah (laughs) Don't don't steal my good joke. <laughs> hey, you know what you said it. It's now out there in the universe. I'm claiming it. It didn't have a flag on it, so I planted one. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah, and it's other... only lost a few. I mean, Lawler Ponzinibbio would have liked to see. But I don't. You know, it's it's one. Somebody else put it uh, on Twitter. Put it really well, which was like, as sad as I am to not see a Robbie Lawler fight. It's I, I have to admit that it's really awesome to not see Robbie Lawler lose. Yeah, and I'm also you know, cool with the fight they got to replace it. Ponzinibbio yeah, Morono like, is... Morono. Yeah, dude shows up. Always fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really just that I don't care about 
In fact, I have sort of negative interest in Jan Blachowicz, Magomed Ankolaev, simply because, God, I don't want Ankolaev to be champion. <laughs> He's not a fun fighter to watch. It, I, it, he, it, I want it, him to be a lot more entertaining than he is. I like the technical, patient fighters. <laughs> this dude is, I mean... It, we, we've I've made this comparison many times, but because they're both Dagestani guys and they're both, you know, like regarded as like clinicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like Islam Makachev has done and continues to do exactly what you hope a yeah. like phenom prospect will do. Yeah. Which is that as his level of competition has risen, as the profile of his opponents has risen, he has stepped up to the plate and gotten more and more dominant. Yep. He has risen to the task of being a top fighter and now looks genuinely like a pound for pound great. You heard Magomed Ankalaev, folks. What's Christ that? Child. You heard it here first, folks. Christ Child, Islam Makachev. <laughs> Magomed Ankalaev has essentially become post forgetting how to wrestle John Jones before even winning the title. Yeah, he's just getting less interesting and more risk averse. And I just it's a fine fight. It's a it's a cool, relevant fight. It You know, it makes sense that it's for the title because Yuri made the hilariously uh, in character snap decision to just drop the belt the moment he got injured. Very much a Yuri Prochaska thing to do. Yeah, it, I mean, it does seem like a it does seem like a Yuri Prochaska thing to do. It also it also smacks though of UFC pressuring. Like the the way it was reported was like he got Honey. injured. He got injured and then he had a conversation with the UFC and after having that conversation decided to vacate the you know, the light heavyweight title. And it's like, okay. I can imagine how that conversation might have gone down. I guess. You know, uh but, like, how much pressure was really needed to get a guy like Yuri Prochaz? All you got to do is yeah. say to the guy, you know, the word honor. Yeah, yeah. This is when he, Bushido spirit requires it, Yuri. Yeah, it's not a bit with him. Like, that's, no, that's it's the not. Thing. Um, probably the easiest sell. The, they probably make that sell to every single champion who gets yeah. injured. And most of them are like, it's only been five months. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's uh, definitely... So anyway, you know, it's taken a hit this card. That was the one meaningful hit was the title fight and main event change. It's still fine, mm-hmm. but it's not a really a great pay-per-view. Yeah, it's just one of those things where, like, watching, re-watching the, uh, the footage on these two, it really became rapidly apparent, apparent that large parts of this fight are going to be really boring. Yeah. And that is kind of a buzz killer when... Like the the rest of the main card is it's all they're, they're all interesting fights with interesting dynamics, but yeah, it does like I don't know Bryce Mitchell Ilya Tapuria feels like the only fight that's going to shake a contender out of this. Picture. That's the best fight on the card. Yeah, it'll probably that, be the most interesting to watch, and it has the most it, it's the most compelling matchup for its division yeah it's got the obvious impact on the division whereas like pimblet gordon is like an interesting chance for the ufc to build pimblet star power again you know continue building that but uh-huh. i don't know yeah it's there's still this feeling of like it's a i'm sorry it's a joke of a co-main event yeah 
and, and it's a joke. Mitch Mitchell Tapori is a co-main. Yeah, it is. Pimblet Gordon is like I I I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how little attention you have to be paying or how little you have to know about MMA to look at any Patty Pimblet fight and be like, oh, this dude's gonna be a champion. It ain't gonna wow. happen, folks. Yeah. I, Sorry. I you know, I think that it, it, if he is I think probably the, the track he's on right now, uh, he will he he has a chance to have Donald Cerrone's career without with, with fewer fights and uh but more money. <laughs> sure, I guess. You know, like Cerrone got to did he ever yeah, he did yeah, he he fought for a title at least once. I yeah, where Cerrone once. would make his uh Cerrone would get his paycheck and then instantly spend it all on like a boutique skydiving expedition. Yeah. Patty Pimblett instantly spends it all on uh seven hundred uh pounds of smack barms. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever it is they eat in Liverpool. Yeah, Cerrone had one title shot where he had a, he put together a really good run, and he got a title shot, and he got absolutely owned yeah. by uh, a, a prime Rafael dos Anjos. And then he just had you know fun fights the rest of the way that people remembered him really well for. Mm-hmm. And like that's probably a pretty fair arc for Patty Pimblett to have. I don't have a problem with Patty being yeah. a like, mainstay action fighter. It's not like yeah. his fights are and bad to watch. A, he will stay a very popular fighter because one of the, thing, one of the things that's best about making a, a fighter popular is having them already be popular, having them have a built-in yeah. fan base that will cheer for them. He's charismatic, and he kisses and, Dana White's ass, and his yeah. fights are fun. So, yeah. like, you know, it, it's fine. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, enough about evaluating the card. It is what it is. It's it is not as good it. as it was. Whatever. But it's not as bad as it seems. No. But, you know, they've, they've set a pretty high bar for themselves with pay-per-views this year. They have. And this this isn't really reaching it for me. I will say, too, they've set a high bar for pay-per-views this year in a year where they have not been selling pay-per-views, mm. really, at all. And so uh, this definitely won't change that track. Mm. Yeah, I don't know who's buying for Blokovic on Goliath. Yeah, anyway, let's talk about the fight. Yeah, uh, well, okay, so the thing is, <clears throat> it is kind of an, it's an interesting dynamic. I don't know how fun a dynamic it is. Yeah, I don't think it'll be a fun dynamic at all. But it is interesting because yeah. um, Jan is really one of the very few fighters in this division who can kind of have the fight Ankalaev seems to want to have with everyone mm-hmm. and be fine. Yeah. And compete and quite possibly win in that kind of fight. It is. It, they will both get the exact fight they want. Yeah. Which is always uh, interesting to me. It's always interesting yeah. to see that kind of thing. You know, it's like with the Schnell uh, um Nicolau fight recently, where it's just like, okay, Nicolau is going to get to be on the back foot and counter, and Chanel is going to get f- to come forward. You know, we're not necessarily shocked about how that went for Matt Chanel, but it's always sure. interesting to see two people get the fight that they think they want to have. Yeah. Um. So, so I think the the big question then is like, does Ankalaya want to have the right kind of fight? Um. Or if he starts to lose, will he realize he needs to have that kind of fight? And that kind of fight involves wrestling. Mm-hmm. Which 
is the way that he actually dominates people. The guy's a sharp striker. Yeah. Um, you know, pressuring when he has the initiative, which he often does because most fighters have no idea how to deal with his jab, which is very yep. good. Um, then he doesn't really seem to know how to make anything happen. It's, he it, doesn't. I mm-hmm. say for a long time, you know, I, I was just waiting for like, okay, when's the death going to come to his game? Where, where is it? Cause he's been this guy since he was, he first turned pro. Yeah. Um, and then the more, the higher up he's got, it is, I think it's just a, there is a real deep discomfort in him over yeah. the idea of letting an opponent have anything to work with. Yeah. And he, Which is a shame because the thing yeah. he's best at is counterpunching. Yeah. But he has seems to have no idea how or, or no interest in. Uh, like actively trying to draw counter opportunities out of his opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he seems way more invested lately. And, and some of this has to do with his opponents. Like Tiago Santos isn't exactly the world's hardest fighter to shut down. He'll back himself into the cage and let you jab him. Um, but yeah, like very one strike at a time, very measured pace. And that's kind of it. There's, yeah. there's not a lot of progression in Uncle Liev's fights of any kind. And when it gets, when things get wilder, he doesn't, he doesn't pick up with it, you know, which is why we've seen some of his fights no. at the very top kind of look a bit struggled. Yeah. Is it like he's out there, he's doing one strike at a time, very even paced, very deliberate. And if somebody blitzes him, he gets tagged up a little, and yeah. he backs off more, you know? Yeah. And he, he resets, and he goes back to doing what he's doing, which is very surgical, and it's it's very hard to hurt him, and it's very compact and controlled. But it's not, you know, he, the uh, you look at the Krylov fight, you look at the Tiago Santos fight, mm-hmm. and they both... Krylov and Santos, when they when they went after uh, Ankalaev, they both yeah. had good success doing it. Yeah, yeah. Santos during one of the few pa- phases of him doing anything dropped Ankalaev. Mm-hmm. Uh, Krylov made him visibly uncomfortable and yep. just couldn't keep up his own uh, his own pace or continue to find new ways of getting to Ankalaev. Um. So yeah, I was. I mean, I was talking about this fight to uh, to Phil. And uh, and to Kyle McLaughlin, mm-hmm. and they were both uh, definitely of the opinion that uh, this is one of those fights where the the Blocko Blitz is going to be basically like a curse. Yeah, Blo- Blockovich's tendency to um, periodically this is not a thing which I made the point not a thing he does all the time. It's a thing like once per round. He's like mm-hmm. I'm going to run off the cage and see what I can make happen. Yeah twice per round. Um, but his tendency to just run forward out of his stance, chin in the air, and just like string together some flurrying punches is going to be uh, fatal for him because Uncle Iev is, again, or can be, a very sharp counterpuncher. I don't, I just don't know that, the, that that's really like a definitive enough part of Blokovic's game for me to think, oh, Uncle Iev's going to KO him. I, I don't even know that he'll KO him, but I can easily see how in a fight where 
absolutely very little else is happening. Yeah. Where if uh, Bl- Bl- uh, Blahovich is giving up those kinds of moments where he is he can get stung once or twice in a round, or he can get counter to, counter double legged and taken off his feet. Yeah, that it'll be enough to win enough rounds for sure. I, I but I think it's it's all about the takedowns because I think maybe Blakovich does get stung doing that. I don't think mm-hmm. it's a certain certainty that that leads to a knockout. No, Uncle Live doesn't exactly punch like say Tiago Santos. Um, even if he does, he doesn't. He's not. He's not wild and like creative enough to surprise people. You know exactly what strikes yeah. Ankalaev is throwing. They're hard strikes, but you know them. Yeah, and Bl- Blakovich will time his blitzes when he thinks the opponent is like overcommitting to a retreat when they're not going to be in position to fire back. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that Thiago Santos is the kind of man and the kind of athlete who doesn't need to be in position to fire back to do so effectively. Yeah. Uh, Uncle Iev is a little different. He likes to be on balance. He likes to be at the right range. It's not like picking off counters against Iwan Kudalaba. Yeah. It's not going to be that easy to, to find really decisive moments uh, just because of this one thing Blakovich does once or twice per round. And then the other thing is that as long as they're on the feet, Uncle, it's going to be very difficult for Ankalaev to, to not sort of just lose by degrees, I think, because Blokovich is a big man. He's got reach. He uses it. He's a great jabber. He actually knows how to move his feet and keep an opponent resetting behind his jab. He himself is an accurate, effective counterpuncher. Um, completely shut down Israel Adesanya's pressure for long stretches of the fight. Adesanya, who's not at all a very different uh, kickboxer on the front foot from Ankalaev. And as is so often the case in these striker versus striker fights with Blachowicz, his kick defense is really top-notch. Mm-hmm. And that is also a big part of Ankalaev's range pot-shotting game. So to me, the entire question of this fight um, I just don't think Ankalaev throwing one strike at a time, which like it, it might make um, that might be the right recipe to stop Tiago Santos from finding reliable counters on you mm-hmm. because you're not you're not lingering in the pocket because he's not it's not like Tiago's out there aiming, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. like you get into the zone of death and he starts swinging and he hits harder than you. Um, so one strike at a time might be a way to stop a striker that crude from countering you. It is in fact the opposite against a good counterpuncher. One strike at a time means he didn't have to worry about something might be coming next when he decides to fire his counter. All he's got to do is find your tells and get the timing on your single strikes. Any boxer worth his salt will tell you combinations beat counterpunchers. Layers mm-hmm. beat counterpunchers because then they don't know when to pull the trigger, uh, and it, or it's not safe to do so when they when they do decide to do it. Uh, Blakovich is going to be, I think, out countering Ankalaev off the back foot. I think he's going to be c- perfectly capable of competing with his jab. Mm-hmm. He will jab a southpaw, and he's going to be checking a lot of kicks and landing his own kicks in return. Ankalaev is not as good a kick defender as Blakovich. So yeah. to me, it's entirely about will Ankalaev wrestle. Oh, I think he will. I mean, he, he usually does it lately. He, he he does it just enough to 
still depend on him doing it. He waited till the fourth round to wrestle Tiago Santos. I know. Who spent the entire fight with his ass against the fence. What what's he doing? Why is yeah. he so passive? Why is he is he afraid of another Paul Craig situation? Like what I don't understand what the hang up is for Uncle Iev when he's so clearly at his most effective, most dangerous in top position. I have no I idea just, what he's doing. I just think it's just that, you know, he, it has been drilled in. And this is, it's a common refrain out of a lot of camps and a lot of coaches is that like the goal is to hit and not get hit. You know, the goal is to, to attack and to have defense be basically perfect to never to never take damage if you can avoid it and um it it can turn some fighters into profoundly negative performers sure. you know and they just they have it in their mind like oh I went out there and I didn't get hurt so I've won yeah but this is the Israel Adesanya thing sometimes yeah it's way safer to actually go out there and put it on your opponent. Yeah. To go no, out there and assertively do the thing you do best that is most likely to lead to a finish. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. It yeah. is definitely, you know, it's one of those things where I I hate hearing it from I, I honestly hate hearing it from coaches. I and I know I'm I'm not a coach, I'm not a fighter, so who cares what I love to hear or hate to hear, but I tend to think that fighters are headed toward a real long-term career struggle if they have somebody in their corner who is, you know, telling them basically stay away from this person. Yeah. Don't don't get in there and you know, mix it up and be aggressive. Yeah. Just stay on your back foot and avoid, you know, avoid clashing. Because, you know, that's how you get Rose Namajunas versus Carla Esparza. And yes. you get a, a very, very shallow version of a uh, very shallow understanding of like what it is to outfox, to outbox somebody. Yeah. And it's what gave us like Tyron Woodley at the end of his career. You know, it's you, you, you end up backing somebody into a corner when you make their, the primary, the primary function of, their offense in the cage to be don't get hit. Yeah. And, 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 and these are all also obviously like innately anxious fighters. Yeah. Woodley, Nami Yunus. I think Jones to an extent. This is why he'll never fight a heavyweight. <laughs> there are things he's anxious about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm starting to think Uncle Iev is that guy. There's something innately risk averse about him. Yeah. Um, if he waits too long to hit a takedown. Like, I think, yeah, it, it is the right pick here on Kaliyev, probably because he has such a strong advantage in one area that, it, you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. he's got an X factor in his favor. Yeah, and we just saw uh, Blahovich coming off that that uh, Rakic fight where Rakic took him down and just spent a whole round on top of him. Yeah. You know? Like, we yeah. just saw... It's such an obvious path to victory. Yeah. But um, I thought Adesanya's path to victory against Pereira was pretty obvious, too, considering that he 
literally followed that path almost perfectly in one of their previous fights. He went down this path of of, of uh, risk aversion, and he he just couldn't. I think even his coaches wanted him to fight like he did in, in his second fight with Pereira, and he just he had lo- he you know use it or lose it basically. Yeah, he's lost the ability to believe in that kind of game plan. I'm starting to worry that that's on Goliath's thing as well. And the problem is, is that waiting four rounds to make that happen against Blokovich is like genuinely dangerous. Oh, yeah. Blokovich is a finisher. He's he's a sharp striker who is also quite powerful. It's much more dangerous doing that against uh, Blachowicz than it is against uh, Anthony Smith or Tiago Santos. Even. Absolutely. I mean, Santos is is a bigger striker, but he's more likely to just take his foot off the gas at that yes. point in his career. Yeah, at this point in his career, go he, away. Is, he is like a worse version of Ankalaev in terms of the yeah. the how uh, non proactive he is. Yeah, and guys like Smith and Ozdemir are easier to lull into fights where they're just not doing a lot. So. Blahovich is he is more likely with his kicking game and his jab and his blitzes to make sure that he punishes you pretty hard once around. Yeah. So, so I'm going to take him. Um, yeah. I, I think there's the added wrinkle that I, that um, the vast majority of Ankalaev's takedowns come from the clinch, which has not historically really been Blahovich's weakness as a wrestler. It's shot takedowns for the most part that he struggles with, with his like extremely weird top heavy body. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, at some point if uncle live goes in there and grabs a single leg, like Glover did and just yanks him off his feet and starts to win super decisively and convincingly, I'm not going to be surprised, No, Take but I'm also expecting him to wait too long to do it. And I, I really think that that is a potentially fatal mistake to make uh, against a, a striker as, as good. And, defensively sound and and um and good at responding to styles like Ankalaev's as mm-hmm. uh, Blakovich is. So I'm taking the flyer on Blakovich here. Yeah, I am going to stick with Ankalaev. I think it's just one of those things where he's going to get such a fight for so lo- much time that he's so comfortable with that it'll let him set up things when he wants to even if, you know, Blahovich is doing well and winning large stretches around or things like that. Um, you know, we've seen Ankalaev, like when Krylov did blitz him, mm-hmm. he, he did react by doing the right thing early. It didn't take him long to figure out what his game should be in that sure. kind of fight. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, when you give him lots of time, even if he's not decisively easily winning rounds, he just doesn't. He just doesn't leave a lot out there to take away from him, you know? And Blahovich can. He he is going to be more effective at it than almost anybody else on Kaliyev's face, if not anybody else on Kaliyev's face. Yeah. But he's not so decisive in it or and so durable in that kind of game that I think he can just do it. Like, I have more faith in Kaliyev's durability, basically. And I think that... Blahovich isn't so decisive in that kind of game that he can, he can do it all the time without getting hurt. And yeah, I'll take Ankalaev just to be patient enough and powerful enough and consistent enough to take advantage of his opportunities when he gets them. I don't really and not see get blown out of the fight. 
I don't really see Jan as being fragile. He's not fragile. Really, the gas tank, that's more of a problem than anything he, else. He's just more fragile than Ankalaev. To the, is he? He's yeah, been knocked he's, out once by Tiago Santos. Twi- well, an old version of whom knocked out Uncle, uh, knocked Ankalaev down. Yeah. I don't know. I think they're on par as, as far as Chin is concerned. Maybe reasonably. I don't know. I, I, I need to see it out of Ankalaev. I need to see him actually get yeah. knocked out. Yeah, I need to see him beat a good striker. So that, that too. I just if he goes in there and, and just does fine on the feet and hits a takedown before the end of round two. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm seeing. I will applaud. Like, yes, yes, you fought to win the fight decisively. That's good. Yep. That's really kind of what I see out of it. It's just he's gonna find that moment at some point and that'll be enough to get him in the driver's seat and sure pick up three rounds. Yeah. That's, you know, it's tough to watch Blokovic's many struggles against the takedown artists and not think that's just too big a yeah. gulf to overcome here. All right. Uh, odds on the bout. Blokovic is, Blokovic is opened up plus 170, is currently up at plus 224. Ankalaev opened at minus 200, is currently down at minus 278. All right. Reasonable. Yeah. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Patty Pimblett, Jared Gordon, and um, I'm picking Patty Pimblett. You are? uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jared Gordon is definitely a step up, no question. Mm -hmm. But there's a couple things that really bother me about Jared Gordon in this fight. First of all, he he has become over time, given the right style matchup, and which this could easily be, a pretty decent kickboxer. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't have range to worry about, or if he, you know, it, it, yeah, basically, if he doesn't have range to worry about, he is pretty good at asserting a busy pocket focused punching game. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pimblet probably doesn't have a big reach on him. He's got a yeah. He's got actually he does. He has five inches on him. So, but he doesn't throw any a lot of range strikes. He doesn't not, throw anything straight. Pimblet is a bad, it's, a bad it's, striker. It's not. It's not what he's focused on. Yeah. Well, it's. <laughs> yeah. It's, I always bring up the uh, the hilarious comparison that Phil made, but he he says that he starts every fight. Uh, his striking at the beginning of every fight is like the that guy who. Uh, who uh, tried to prank like the uh, the high schooler by popping out of the trash can? Mm-hmm. Ooh, and then he just instantly gets decked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he's a pretty bad striker in my he, opinion. He is a pretty bad striker. Uh, thing is, though, for Gordon is he's not a powerful striker. He's no. become a better busy inside puncher, but he's not knocking anybody out with that. Mm-hmm. It's a very survivable place for most fighters against Jared Gordon, even if they can, he can make them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it also means that Gordon falls into the, he falls into the clinch a lot. And Pimblet isn't a great wrestler, mm-hmm. but he is an effective clinch scrambler. And Jared Gordon is not a great wrestler either. My guess is that 
pinball can create enough chaos in scrambles to create takedowns. Even if they're not, even if it's just him getting taken down, frankly. Mm -hmm. And from there, Gordon has one big problem every time he hits the mat, and that's that he instantly gives up his back. Instantly. Sure. Happened against Grant Dawson, happened against Leo Santos in a fight that he was owning. It just happens to him all the time. Yep. I mean, it ha it's literally what all MMA fighters do who don't want to engage in the ground. It's just that Gordon's not like an insane athlete. So yeah, there tends to be time enough in those transitions for skilled grapplers to take that opening. And if he's going to create a bunch of car crashes with Pimblet and not finish him mm -hmm. and give up his back a lot, I'm going to take Pimblet to find a, find a rear naked choke to find a submission at some point. Yeah. God, that would suck, wouldn't it? Um, I don't know. I guess I don't have any. I don't have any bad feeling about Pimblet as like a fighter. I like watching him. No, he's a fun fighter. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, his, he wins his fights in really stupid ways. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's only good at one thing, and <laughs> it just sucks that the, the that that yet another fight might just depend on the opponent. The opponent just not quite being good enough in that area to not fall into it. Yeah. I mean, uh, while, he, while having some pretty distinct advantages, basically everywhere else. Yeah, he, I, he he'll head to he'll 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 find his way to Claudio Puelas territory soon enough. Yeah, but at the moment, Gordon just doesn't feel like the recipe, you know. Yeah, I mean, my impulse coming in is that like that I, I'm I've never been particularly impressed with Pimblet's takedown game. No, it's not a good wrestling game. Yeah, and um, and it would be really dumb for Jared Gordon to like to not just sit at like long to middle boxing distance and just poke him for three rounds. Mm -hmm. um, that's not Gordon's game at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the fact that he he uh, repeatedly fell into clinches with Grant Dawson is um. It's pretty damning in that respect. Mm -hmm. Dawson still had to like actively fight to take him down, though. He did. I'm not saying it's going to be an easy fight. I'm just yeah. saying that I think Gordon's a better wrestler than Pimblet. Might um, be, but at that point, Pimblet will just let him take him down. No, I. Well, I mean, why would he do that, though? Why would Pimblet do that? Because he 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 let no. Rob why would Gordon take him down? Because it's there, it's available. It's his MMA. What are you talking yeah. about? Checking impulses? <laughs> oh, don't make me pick Patty here. Uh, uh, you don't have to. I'm just saying, like, uh, you know what? I mean, I, the picks don't matter. I've given up okay. in the back half of this year. Screw it. I, I just don't. If 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 Jared Gordon loses this fight, it's his fault. <laughs> It's basically what I'm gonna what I'm gonna say. All right, it's entirely his fault. He doesn't have to. Now I'll pick Patty because because <laughs> the problem for Jared is he's not gonna he's not gonna finish Patty on the feet. Yeah, and he is gonna fall into him, and something stupid's gonna happen because it happens in every Patty Pimblet fight because he's a stupid fighter. Yeah, and if they start scrambling on the mat, Gordon is gonna give up his back. Yeah, and then and and you can't deny that Patty is actually 
quite dangerous on the ground. He's a very good back take artist. Yeah. All right, fine. I'll take Patty Pimblet. <laughs> I don't like it. Pimblet opened at plus 125, dropped straight to minus 170. It's currently down at minus 259. Gordon opened at minus 145, jumped up to plus 148, and is currently min- plus 208. And that takes us to a catch weight bout, 180 pounds, Alex Morono, Santiago Ponzinibbio. Short notice is my only concern for Alex Morono here. Yeah, that's the only one. It really kind of is. Um, Morono is an incredibly hardy and resourceful, crafty fighter. Yeah, he really is. He's really weird and awkward, but he's he he's just. And I guess it, it makes it a it makes it a, a pretty big concern because I think one of Morono's strengths. Um, he's not the only Fortis guy you can say this about is that he, he finds a good game plan and sticks to it. Um, that is one of the ways that he consistently beats people who are just like, just visually obviously superior athletes. Um, you know, he's, he can counter punch and, and move around behind his jab when he needs to. He can also pressure and put combinations together and stay in people's faces he will incorporate his wrestling if it's a good approach to win the fight. He will chop away at people with low kicks if that's mm-hmm. a good way to approach them. Like, he's quite flexible. He is. Uh, but I think, you know, like Bilal Muhammad, um, probably takes a few weeks to actually uh, get the right approach to an opponent baked in. Mm-hmm. And I think with the right approach, I, I would comfortably pick him against Ponzinibbio, who is just not the fighter he used to be. He's slower, he's much easier to counter, and mm-hmm. gets hurt worse when he gets countered. Um, I look at, like, uh, Alex Morono, his counterpunching against, like, Donald Cerrone or whatever, and then I look at Ponzinibbio's fight with, like, Li Jing Liang. Obviously, mm-hmm. this isn't a one-to-one comparison, but, like, that was a Ponzinibbio who was made immediately timid. He's often quite timid to start his fights these days. Mm-hmm. And basically the fight has to become a complete bloody mess for him to just decide he doesn't care anymore. He's already been hurt. He may as well go for it and have a fight. Yeah. Um, but I still think I'm going to have to take him for having a full camp. Ponzinibbio style doesn't really change ever from opponent to opponent. No. Um, he's going to be able to land straight punches. He's a powerful puncher still. <clears throat> and he's got the low kicks, which are an ever-present part of his game, the kind of thing that if you're Alex Morono, you probably would want to have spent an entire camp preparing to deal with. I have no doubt he'd be out there impressing us all by checking low kicks 70% of the time if that was what he focused on for his mm-hmm. camp, but he hasn't. So I am going to take Ponzinibbio. Yeah, uh, I mean, the big thing for me too here is honestly just... The, you know, you say it's just about time and all that, but there is the factor, too, that Morono is, I, I realize you said, as you say, Ponzinibbio is a bit slower and easier to counter than ever. Morono's still just not a very good athlete who has to rely on a lot of grit. Sure. And, like, 
that that still almost ended up being disastrous for him against Matthew Semmelsberger, which was a pretty like great chance to show off for Morono mm-hmm. against a fair you know an opponent still pretty early in their um in their career in yeah. like building their skill base and Ponzinibbio. The good thing for Ponzinibbio is that, as you say, he starts slow. Things have to get become a bit bloody and messy for him to actually bite down and start fighting the way he needs to. But when he does that, he is still a lot more determined than most fighters in the welterweight division. Absolutely. He can put together a much better round of sustained offense. There is still the ghost of the super, like, professionally consistent fighter in there that he was. Yeah. And that would give me, that would always give me pause against Morono, or for Morono. Because it is the kind of thing that, like, no matter how well he's doing, that kind of sustained uh, confidence is always a danger for him. He is always going to have a way for that to turn into him getting finished because he's just not that great an athlete. And he, most of what he does involves putting himself in a lot of danger. You know, he is, he is one of the guys that like, if I, if I'm talking about, you know, my, if we're talking about our disdain for the way Magomed Ankalaev has approached fighting the best fighters out there, Morono is like the poster child for what we want to see. Alex Morono opened at a plus 220, dropped down to plus 155, currently plus 151. Santiago Ponzinibbio opened at minus 260, jumped up to minus 180, currently minus 182. And yeah, I'm I'm going to pick Santiago Ponzinibbio here. I'm I just think that despite even beyond the short notice, Ponzinibbio getting put away early by Li Jingliang is a concern. Mm-hmm. But the way he's rallied back against Jeff Neal and Michelle Pereira, guys like that, and to take mm-hmm. those fights over late, I I would ha- always have a lot of concern about Alex Morono's ability to stand up to that kind of prolonged punishment from somebody who does punch as hard as Santiago Ponzinibbio. Yeah, sure. You know, like the guys that Morono's been beating lately are good, but they're not, they don't necessarily have that level of persistence to them. You know, you get like early, late career cowboy, you get Mickey Gall, you get Semmelsberger and Rice, Reese McKee, and I love David Zawada, but he's never met a chance he didn't want to take. Yeah. So it's it's guys struggling to attain the sort of consistency that Ponzinibbio has started to drift away from, but yeah. none of them have ever reached that height and don't tend to reach the heights Ponzinibbio still does find in his fights these days. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be. I mean, I'm glad Morono's getting the option. I'm glad that he jumped on the opportunity because yeah, yeah. you know he, he's a guy who he's won four fights in a row, and he's not ever probably going to be anybody's idea of a marquee household name. So these are the kind of fights that you take. These are the chances you take. You know, this is the big opportunity to go in and pull off the kind of win that people then are like, oh, well, we should put this guy in other big fights, see what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Darren Till, Drikus Duplessis. 
speaking of household names, yeah, yeah. everyone's mom and dad has heard about Drakus Duplessis. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, like, why would I pick Darren Till here? Honestly, it, man, yeah. watching tape on Drakus Duplessis though, <laughs> uh-huh. like, it is still just a stark reminder that. This man should not be winning these fights. No, he's a complete mess. He is a complete mess. He will give Darren Till every single thing that Till needs to work with to win. Yeah. And if Darren Till doesn't ex- doesn't turn those things into a win in one round, we know what happens in Darren Till fights. And we know what happens in Duplessis fights as well. Yeah. He he's uh, the the man's on i'm i'm not i'm not going to make an accusation but like i don't know how this man is like as muscular as he is and throws as everything full power the way he does and still has like uh, a second third fourth and ninth wind in him mm-hmm. but he does and darren till is and has always been a fighter who does the vast majority of the things he's going to do in the entire fight in the first 5 minutes yeah, I mean, the thing we have seen with Till, the you know, fights like uh, Boyan Velishkovich or uh-huh. the Boyan Velishkovich, that's really the only uh-huh. one, <laughs> where, like, he could sustain at least teeing off on, like, hurting his opponent every time the opportunity presented itself, even though... He let Boyan back into that fight too on several on every occasion. It felt like he had him on the ropes. Yes. Like the opportunities are going to be there every single time in every round for Till to land huge shots, to be a laser focused, tight power puncher. Sure. And he has, I think, learned to counter better because that was always my big criticism of Till. Was that he looked like yeah. a fighter who countered people really hard more than he was a, a fighter that countered people really hard. Yeah. It almost always had to be getting, getting up through the Gastelum fight. It pretty much always had to be till leading for him to be effective, even though he, he always has that left hand cocked and you're just like, oh, man, there is a huge left hand counter waiting for somebody right there. And you just watch the whole fight. And anybody who charged at him, he'd back up straight up with his head on line and that increasingly sort of goofy rictus on his face. And the sort of flapping, like, I don't know, like uh, play acting Muay Thai, I'm not bothered by the fact that you're making me run away hand gesture thing he yes, would do. Yes, yes. Rather and, than using his hands to do the thing they're supposed to do in a fight. Yeah. And, and it would always be like, okay, where's this counter? You've just been charged at and the person didn't hit you. Where's the counter punch? Yeah. And it, it would never show up. He then looked it gets... like a low, a, he looked like an aggressive counter puncher because first of all, you know, he had this, he had, and still has uh, early on this incredible like sense of poise. He's big, he's yeah. imposing. He, oh, he, he, the... he, he is an, absolute bullshit artist when it comes to absolutely looking terrifying yeah he looks like an aggressive counterpuncher when in reality for most of his career he has just been an incredibly low output pressure fighter yep and it works to the effect that like even robert whitaker was very convinced 
Yeah. Well, and that it, was also one of the few fights where the, Darren yeah, Till actually is, so, yeah. landed yeah. some counters. He, he threw and landed some guys. Like I said, I think he's actually been working to get better at counter punching. Yeah, I agree. Um, but he also has, he is imposing enough in presence that even Robert Whitaker was like, he came away from that fight being like, man, I was really scared to engage him. Yeah. It wasn't it was, just Darren Till either, though. It was also Whitaker on the back of his loss to Adesanya. Yeah, but Whitaker has continued to talk about that fight, and other fighters in the division mm-hmm. continue to talk about Darren Till like a man to be feared. You know? Yeah. Like, Adesanya chased a Darren Till fight with... Till have it still with till like his most recent fight being that loss to Whitaker, mm-hmm. you know, up through the loss to Derek Brunson, Robert or Adesanya was like, I'd love to face Darren Till. That would be such a fun, difficult fight. Mm-hmm. You know, he has built a sterling reputation as, and, and even like Steve, you know, Stephen Thompson was very convinced for most of that fight. Like I cannot engage this man. Well, yeah, I think Thompson won that fight, but it's just a thing that happens with Stephen Thompson if you aren't actually aggressive. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. He he's, he doesn't it's really true. make the fight if you're not walking onto his counters. It's true. It's his like one real weakness as an MMA striker. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm just. I have. I have never been convinced by Darren Till. He's too low output. He's too inconsistent. He does all of his best work, as I said, in the first five minutes. And then people who run at him, is he going to fire some counters? Yes. Um, could he Could he be the guy that just knocks uh, Drikus Duplessis out cold? Sure. Sure. I mean, it It happened not that long ago from R- Roberto Soldich, who is, sure. you know, maybe even more one-dimensional than Till. Yeah. If, even if he's more effective in that dimension. Yeah, and he did it in the third round which yeah. uh, is not a thing that, again, I just think, yeah, Dar- Darren Till is not a consistent fighter. And no. um, he, he doesn't really finish anyone either. I mean, yeah. he looks like a powerful striker. I think he probably is. Yep. <clears throat> he's big, he's intimidating, he can be accurate, but... Um, Got great poise. <laughs> sure. Uh, except that there's also been fights where we've seen his poise completely collapse when the opponent just, like when Jorge Moswell just didn't believe him. Yeah. <clears throat> and Darren Till uh, w- was like increasingly visibly anxious as that fight went on. Uh-huh. Uh, Tyron Woodley, of course, yep. broke him. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I just think Drickus Duplessis is a complete mess. He's going to get hit clean. He's probably going to get hurt early. Oh, yeah. Um, but if he if he can't get if Darren Till can't put him away, then Duplessis is going to continue to be the exact same kind of violent problem for as long as he's allowed to be in there. And that is just not the case with Darren Till. So I don't, Man. I don't trust Darren Till. Uh, I, I trust Drikus Duplessis just to go out there and do the one thing. Yeah. He no, I trust Drikus Duplessis to show up and be like an absolutely brutal puncher, just mm-hmm. a clubber for three rounds, mm-hmm. no matter what, no matter how tired he gets, no matter how ugly the fight is. Mm-hmm. And I trust him too. If he gets his fight to the mat, completely give up position immediately going for something <laughs> goofy as hell. 
can't but it's going to be a breakneck pace and a messy fight. And yeah, Darren Till doesn't yeah. like this. He no. wants it to be controlled and he wants the opponent to be scared of him. Yeah. It is weird to think to like just pick a guy who lost to Gareth McClellan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you're right. I'll pick Rikus Duplessis right now, too. I mean, especially, too, with all the injuries for Till. And. Yeah, he's been out for ages. He's been out for ages, and his confidence has been getting shook up. Oh, yeah. In all this time. Like, it is very clear over the thing, the time that he has taken and, you know, the interviews and all that and the fights when he's in them and things like that, that he is he is now thinking about how he might lose a fight in ways that I don't think he was early on. Yeah. You know? So much of his success was bait, built on him being supremely confident. Mm-hmm. And the, the moment... I, I honestly have had a hard time believing him in him since the Nicholas Dalby fight, honestly. Yeah. I mean... That didn't change the way Till fought, I don't think. Or maybe no, I think he he had a built-in excuse for that one, which is why yeah. I think he was able to weather yeah. that that third round turnaround. He convinced himself it wasn't like baked into how his fights go. Yeah, because he he like dislocated his shoulder or whatever. Yeah, but the the Woodley Masvidal combo yeah. really has clearly put a lot more pause into him, and then yeah. going out and losing to Whitaker, and then to uh Brunson Brunson and getting all the injuries piling up too and all that mm-hmm. like I just yeah I'll pick Duplessis as well but man someday the the wheels are gonna the wheels are gonna fly off that Duplessis screen <laughs> in the most spectacular fashion imaginable yeah. it might be a, it might take Robert Whitaker to do it yeah but that it, is the kind of fighter who will yeah completely tune him up but it, it, until that point, it is just going to be like the most wild and dangerous. It, you know, it, it, it is a real runaway train vibe, and you're just waiting for the moment that it explodes into a massive fireball. Yeah, it's going to be awesome either way. Yeah. Uh, Duplessis opened at minus 135. He's currently down at minus 186. Darren Till opened at plus 115. He's currently up at plus 154. All right, that brings us to our final fight. Of the main card, Bryce Mitchell, Ilya Topuria, and um, yeah, this is a this is you, but this is a fascinating fight. This is a great fight. It's a fantastic matchup. I would probably be more confident that it was of, of which way it was going to go before that Jai Herbert fight, mm-hmm. because. I had concerns. I had a few mild concerns going back to that Damon Jackson bout. Yeah. I remember somebody getting really, like, pissed off at me and being like, you don't know what you're looking at, yada, yada, yada. It was never whatever. And I was thinking, like, because I was watching that, and I was like, you know, Damon Jackson's hitting this dude a lot. Mm -hmm. And I know Damon Jackson is a better fighter than he gets credit for and has continued to prove that. Yeah. But it was kind of, it was a little alarming to me just how supremely confident Ilya Tupuria was about wading into the pocket, essentially with pre-selected strikes. 
that yeah. even his opponent could see. He's just like, I'm going to wade in. I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with these huge punches, this big combo, whatever. And you're not going to be able to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is the kind of confidence and aggression that I love. It pays off and it has continued to pay off for Tapuria. But there is, there can be a lack of nuance to it. Yes. And it helps that he's a beast of an athlete. Mm-hmm. And his pre-selected punches are very good. Yeah, they're very good punches. Uh, this this is this is the, the truly still rare MMA fighter for whom a body punch isn't like a random idea he has yeah. half halfway yeah. through the fight. It was one hundred percent a staple of his approach to people. He's he's much more like a like a Jack Della Maddalena in that regard. Yeah, he goes I mean, out there, and one of the main things he wants to do is break your ribs. And it is three straight fights we have seen that body punching play a key in what may, what sets him apart from his peers. Yeah. Um, and it could again here, but, but yeah. it is interesting because Bryce Mitchell, like his striking still isn't great, but he is confident and crafty in a very different way it's way better than you sort of think it is at a glance yeah like he's 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 a super flexible fighter he is super flexible he will take absolutely any opportunity his opponent gives to him he's not choosy he's not he is a genuine Mm all-rounder and the flexibility with that like there's so much confidence in his flexibility yeah that like he he makes a lot of things work and mm-hmm. you can see how you can see how thin his striking gets when he has a moment of indecision that's the interesting yeah. thing cuz like yes. he went out against Edson Barboza and he just started tearing through Barboza you know yep. the the booth and Ro- Joe Rogan's out there talking about like oh you don't want to trade kicks to Edson Barboza you can see how much faster and cleaner Edson Barboza is and how much harder he hits and how much better he is as a striker and you know oh uh, Mitchell needs to get this off the feet and then Mitchell like just blasts Barboza with a one-two body kick that rocks him yep. and drops him to the mat he saw the Khabib and Kevin Lee fights and the Gaethje fight for Barboza, and he's like, I'm going to do all of those things. Yeah, and just immediately starts taking it to Barboza on the mat afterward, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just really, you you know, there was no hesitation, there was no worry for him about what Barboza could do standing up, and it translated into him going out and putting something on Barboza right away. Mm -hmm. And then he gets him down. There was a moment. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, and then he gets him down, he beats him up, and Barboza gets up and starts having a little success on the feet, starts being able to pressure a little, starts landing a few of his own shots. And you could see suddenly this moment of indecision of like, oh, okay, well, what do I need to do to reattack this person? And in that moment, the technical gulf suddenly became really glaring. Yeah, and it is notable that some of the shots Barboza was particularly effective with were body punches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a moment at the end of like round two where he nails Mitchell with like two, three left hooks to the to the to the ribs in a row. And uh, yeah. it really seems to suddenly sap a lot of energy out of Bryce Mitchell. He gets it back for round three. Yeah. He 
another he thing can... I like to see. I mean, when he got yeah. into trouble there, he didn't. He wasn't one hundred percent sure what to do. He did what like experienced boxers do. He got on his bike and decided to just burn a little time to recover. Yep. Um, great. You know, seems, very good instinct. It seems like I think it's kind of a thing where maybe Mitchell he can formulate well, like a for, he can formulate a plan of attack in the moment. Well, like in in the fight, not even not necessarily in the moment, but in the fight, he'll be he can he can go out and he can start a fight with an idea and press that idea. Mm-hmm. He can then start the next round with that idea, or you know he he can rechange he can change up and get back to new ideas over and over again, which is a hell of a skill. Yeah, but if you can catch him in the moments where he's having to formulate. There's not a lot of safety built into his game. There's not a lot of technical safety built into his game. Yeah. There has to be a lot of strategic safety that he creates for himself. Yeah. So basically, there will definitely be moments for Taporia to badly hurt and quite possibly finish Bryce Mitchell on the feet. Yeah. And otherwise, it remains to be seen if Mitchell can turn these these gaps, th- this aggression of Topuria's into offense of his own, he probably will. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, is that um, is that Mitchell's a very different opponent for Topuria, too. Mm-hmm. Who has Topuria faced who is going to be 100% okay with grappling with him? Like, I think Topuria is one of these fighters like, uh, like Charles Oliveira. It, it, well, there was Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall was 100% okay grappling with him. Well, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Willing to grapple with him, capable of doing it from an actually good position, like capable of making him grapple. Yeah, Ryan not Hall. Like, not sacri- inviting him yeah. at his leisure to grapple whenever it suits him. Yeah. Which is really all Ryan Hall was able to do. Ryan Hall had to accept whatever fight Topuria wanted to have. It's just yes. he wasn't afraid to be on the bottom grappling against Tapuria, even at his own expense. Yes. And, and which is, a, was a bad idea, obviously. Yeah. Um, Bryce Mitchell is, will be a completely unafraid. will mm-hmm. want to grapple just as much as Ryan Hall did, but is also a great takedown artist. Yeah. Uh, and, and like pretty much everything in this game, a supremely flexible takedown artist can hit trips and throws from the clinch. Yeah. can hit uh can can pull people off the fence with singles and double legs and as we saw really i think for the first time in his fight with andre feely no easy mark to out wrestle can hit some great reactive shots off the back foot too um he's he's a really skillful uh wrestler who, yeah. who really commits and drives through his shots i have no idea how Taporia deals with that yeah, because I, I think know. a lot of Taporia's confidence on the feet is like Charles Oliveira. Uh, it stems from this idea that like nobody's even going to want to take me down. Yeah, like they they know how dangerous I am on the ground, and I think I would need a far deeper understanding of the actual grappling styles at play here to um, to say definitively that it is always going to be a good idea for Mitchell to take him down. But I will say. I know from watching Bryce Mitchell that when he takes people down, uh, 
he is an insanely aggressive but methodical top position oh, grappler. He, I mean, it's really we we were talking a little bit before the show started here about uh, Brendan Schaub and Tito Ortiz and how dumb they are. Practical intelligence versus <laughs> versus like broad education or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, and just being very just dumb guys. Yeah, and in many it, ways, Bryce Mitchell is that kind of Bryce, guy. Bryce, well, Bryce Mitchell, I think it's a really unfortunate amount of learned stupidity. Yeah, for him, that I really like. It makes me sad a little bit that this guy seems to be a huge idiot. And I'm not talking about any political stuff. I'm talking about like all the conspiracy theory, like flat eartherism and yeah, and all that kind of stuff that he's into. Just the absolute wild, unhinged BS. All the stuff that's designed to make the stupidest people on earth feel like they're smarter than everyone else. Yeah. Cause I don't think I, I, I we've said this before, but like I think Bryce Mitchell could be a pretty sharp person. And he certainly fights like a very sharp person. Sometimes you know? those people just fall off the wrong side of like he's he's got the inquisitiveness of yes. an intelligent person. He's out there. He's questioning things. Yeah. But uh, he's also like credulous and clearly, you know, in the wrong environment, exposed to the wrong ideas. Yeah. Uh, but like it, it, it's fascinating because he is he fights like a really smart dude. You know, he's a brilliant fighter. Brilliant fighter. And I, this, this is an anti Patty Pimblet for me. Like, yeah. I, I frankly, I don't, it doesn't con- concern me at all that Bryce Mitchell is like a, a complete doofus jackass outside of the cage. Oh, no, I don't care. I, I he's love an exceptional him. fighter. I've been super yeah. impressed with him for the entire time he's been in the UFC. And I'm going to yeah. pick him here because um, I think Taporia's just got a slightly narrower approach. Mitchell has already proven in multiple fights that he can, he can. Yeah, just, again, take whatever opportunities his opponent gives him. And as dangerous as Tupuria is himself on the ground, it seems way more likely that when this goes to the ground, it will be at Bryce Mitchell's choosing. And when that is the case, he's really, really difficult to deal with. You just don't get to start from a position of advantage. Yeah, I'm I'm going to stick with Tupuria here because I do think that Tupuria's confidence on the ground, as, as shown in the Ryan Hall fight, Oh yeah, is well earned out of very very smart and tr- well trained positional control, mm-hmm. and it'll be enough to keep getting him back to his feet. Because I mean, you really too, you do have to look a little at who Bryce Mitchell has faced on the mats, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's you know Edson Barboza, Andre Feely, Charles Rosa, Matt Sales, and Bobby Moffat. Feely's the big one, really. Feely's the big one and the best, and I think that. Topuria is a much more consistent. He's a much more dominant, aggressive grappler than Feely. I think he's a much more consistent and much better athlete. He's a beast of an athlete again. And I think if he can find his way to to his feet over and over again, he's going to be able to make Mitchell have to process the fight over and over again in ways that I don't think he can afford against Topuria. Yeah. If he gets to keep sustained striking pressure on Mitchell, he's going to get hit. Yep. Mitchell's accurate. He's a decent counterpuncher. Yeah. But um, he's going to be getting hit super hard in return in, in tenderer spots. Yep. So I'm going to pick Taporia here. Mm-hmm. Great fight. But it's a great fight. Yeah, it is. And, you know, like I said, the thing we see with Mitchell, too, is that 
you know, he could go out there and he could get to where you down, to where he could get up and to where you could land some shots. And I expect Mitchell will go back to his corner and come back with a, a, a new plan or a riff on the same plan or, you know, just as much determination to carry through the the same plan and the success that he had the first time and make something work again. Like, it will not be a fight that I think will just get out of Mitchell's control and he'll get run over. Yeah. He, he is he is a, a rare and special all-terrain fighter. Yeah. Uh, odds on the bout are not in the right place. <laughs> Down into some catch-all category. They, the odds makers, Bryce Mitchell has just been convinced the odds makers don't want you to know what the odds are on this That's fight. right, that's right. <laughs> the Freemasons are involved. I'm not sure how yet, but they're there. You can mm-hmm. see. The little triangles up and down on mm-hmm. on on best odd, fight odds. Those little the the red triangles, mm-hmm. the green triangles, mm-hmm. the Illuminati. You ever yeah. noticed you're not allowed to criticize best fight odds? Oh, you, yeah. You know what? You don't see it. I think that's a, a big thing. You don't see people out there online criticizing best no. fight odds, and no. that's because it's not allowed. But, you know, they will come and get you. No one ever complains about it, even though the triangles and all the other stuff. Yeah. Got to ask questions, people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, the odds. <laughs> uh, Mitchell opened at plus 130. He's currently at plus 119. Tapuria opened at minus 150, dropped to minus 205, and is currently minus 143. So those odds are getting closer, which yeah. they should. I mean, it's Two it's undefeated great. top flight prospect fringe contenders. I mean, yeah. these these are the kind of fights that uh, like h- hardcore fandoms are made of. Yeah. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap this up. You can find me on Twitter at these ain't time. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at bloodyoval.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts over on Bloody Oval Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. As always, the MMA Vivid section is brought to you by Chris Reaney and his book, The Fine Art of Violence, which you can find over at chrisreaney.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>